Hello, it's Matt Weaver with BibleTruthProject.com, and today I'm going to discuss Bible translations. Now, I know that this is a bit of an exciting topic and uh, one that has been uh, known to induce hated debate in the Christian circles for hundreds of years, and that my diving into this is not necessarily going to change that. However, I'd just like to share my thoughts on the matter and what I have come up with, and hopefully it it encourages you and also gives you some information that you could take into consideration. Today, the popular Bible translations of the day are something that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot. This is something that the generation previously had a lot of discussion you know, there's the stereotypes of the, you know, the fundamental Baptists and their red letter edition, King James only version Bibles and, and things like that. I look at it a bit differently. I have always said that the Bible, the the words are important. Absolutely. But you need the one who wrote those words to understand it. And that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what inspired people to write down these letters and to address the issues that were, and and they were inspired words by the Holy Spirit. So under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I believe ultimately is where the truth is at. But when we dig a little deeper, you'll see that the actual, the book itself uh, was not taken care of very well. Before I address the New Testament, though, I'm going to focus on the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul refers to the oracles of God and that the Jews have every advantage because to them was committed the oracles of God. And what does that exactly mean? Now, I looked into the matter somewhat, and also with my experience in Israel, I have come across the fact that the Jewish people took their transliteration work so intensely serious uh, that it's really it's really mind-blowing. It's, it's so far beyond anything... Uh, we do today to preserve the sanctity of the text or the Bible or the Word of God. The uh, if 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 you go and look and study the what the Essenes did, the Essenes were probably the, a prime example of what it was to transcribe books. And you have to realize these were handwritten books; they didn't have printing presses back then, so every letter had to be written by hand. And they would have a council sitting around and uh the way i understand it there was a it was kind of a five man team who worked and the person had a scribe who wrote a letter there was another scribe beside him who confirmed that that letter is correct there was a there was an uh an elder behind him confirming that that was the correct letter from one book to the next and then the another elder confirmed his work and then finally the the head master in the back confirmed that that word or that letter is correct and that would go on letter per letter to letter uh, until the entire book was copied and it would take somewhere between three to six months to work the entire uh, old testament it just depended on the speed of the writer but the amazing thing of this whole picture is that when we uh, discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they go and they, they find the Isaiah Scroll, and they look at the, any changes that were made, they pretty much concluded that it's identical. And this is over a period of almost 2,000 years. 
which is just absolutely amazing. I mean, this is 2,000 years and there's no change. You know, that is something in the Christian role we cannot say about our Bible. Now, I'll go back a little bit to the New Testament now that we've talked about the Old. In the New Testament, uh, part of the problem was that these, these uh, what we have as books today, were written as letters, and the, the letters were written to different regions. So for the early church, these letters were circulated around as uh, references, okay, not necessarily as a canonical book. And that was, it wasn't until, uh, I believe, a hundred some odd years later that they decided that we need to make a, a canonical book out of all these letters. And then they had to decide which one it was. And there was a process it went through. And as a Protestant, you know, if you look back on some of that stuff, sometimes you wonder how good that was. I, but I know because of the effect that the book has on me that it is from God, that it is inspired, and that it's correct, it's accurate. Because it does speak to my heart. And from that standpoint, I have confidence in it. But then if you continue in the in the storyline, really from that point back there, the originals were lost. And so people were dealing with copies of copies. Um, and I don't believe really that we had any original text by the time they put the book together uh, from the author itself. And so... We don't know necessarily how accurately it was transcribed. We really don't know. It's an enigma. We don't we don't know. And so there are some different types of texts. And so we use a little bit of interpretation onto which one would be better than another. And this this was assembled into codexes. Now the codexes for the most part were all in Greek. There was in uh, there is one in Latin as well, known as the Latin Vulgate. But you know, for for the most part, they're the Greek codexes, and there's different ones. There's actually quite a few different ones. If I remember right, there's like 60-some different codexes. But the, the main codexes that were worked on that really compiled all the other Greek codexes uh, that were the bits and pieces into master uh, codexes. I know one was uh, Texas Receptus, one was Texas uh, Sinaiticus, and there was others as well. But those are the two I'm going to focus on. On, on this subject. Texas Receptus came about by a bishop who did his work in compiling Greek texts back um, several hundred years after the church's founding. And, you know, in our day and age, we don't think about that being long, but that's kind of like the founding fathers having written books, and today we just start to compile their works. And, you know, it all just depends how well the stuff was handled, you know, if this stuff was transcribed or taken care of or how much the parchment decayed and etc. So that was the challenges faced. But in that whole picture, you have different opinions. And that's what the councils were. There were different councils to decide which way to go with these uh, discrepancies or things that didn't quite line up. And the result is translations. And so Initially, the, 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 these letters eventually became part of you know, a canonical book. And then the church decided that, you know what, we're not going to release this to our, our people, church people. These need to be interpreted by the priests so that people don't get any funny ideas. And so by, by holding that back, we really hindered the ability to, to track and gauge the validity of the book simply because of 
at that point, then it's really under scruples and it's really up to manipulation and things like that. So we come through the period of Constantine into the, into the uh, medieval period and the book is really under control of, of the Catholic Church and any splinter off groups really don't have anything. And you move on through time, it's still under control by them and it, there is no translations into English until you really get up to about when William Tyndale's time. Now Tyndale was a scholar and he understood uh, very well how to communicate it into the common language. You have to understand it was difficult to translate it into the common language because this nothing like this had ever been done before. And so his work was done and of course, we know the famous words, his last words before he died, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Well, truth be told, in that next generation, uh, there was a book made and it was the King James Version. Now, the King James Version was actually not the first release of the English Bible by the king. It actually, there was, uh, I believe, three editions before he actually released then the King James, which would be the 1611 and when he did, uh, that kind of became the standard in the English world. Uh, but you have to realize English was not the standard language of the world. There were other translations at the same time. You've got translations in Germany, uh, the German Bible, the Spanish Bible. All these different translations are kind of coming out in the same time frame and within several hundred years there. And uh, so you one might say, well, this is more accurate, or that's more accurate, or this and that. The, the thing I really want to drive at is that the most important thing to understand is that the history of the books, uh, we don't know for sure, and we have to use an element of faith. The scholars will tell you that there are errors. Just plain and simple, there are errors uh, that are not completely reconcilable, and you have to look at different books to kind of see where you're at. Um, I'm not saying that to discourage someone or to say that, you know, it's try to go against what people say when they say it's inerrant because I do not believe that to be the case. I do not think that the Bible has errors. I just realized that it was a book written by man and we as a church did a horrible job of preserving it. So the blame falls on us, not on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I say we need the Holy Spirit to guide us to understand this book anyway. Because the New Testament is all about inspiration. It, everything. When Jesus was sitting at Caesarea Philippi and Peter said, Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Or as the, as the translation would say, Thou art the Christ. But Christ means Messiah. Thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He made those references that flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. So it's the revelation of the word that is really the key in this whole picture. That's what makes it living flesh. That's what gives it validity. Uh, it's not necessarily the perfect correctness in the letter or in the text as much as it is in the inspiration or the revelation of the Word of God in our hearts. Now, some of you might have some different opinions, and I'm open to hearing them. It's just in my studies, what I have found, it's been rather discouraging from the standpoint of saying that our English translations are completely accurate. Uh, first of all, it is a translation. So translating is always difficult. If you go from one language to another, 
there are things that are lost in translation, even in the original Hebrew to English. There's just things in Hebrew that can mean several different things. And a word has so much more impact than it does in English. That's a little bit uh, of the scenario. And a friend of mine actually used the analogy uh, that I really liked, and it was this, is that when, when, okay, you can go to the store, you can buy chocolate cake. And you can eat the chocolate cake, and it's good. But it's not that uh, chocolate cake recipe that was handed down for four generations by your grandmother. You know, that rich chocolate frosting and that perfectly baked sponge and that, you know, just decadent uh, cake. And that's a little bit how it is with translations. With translations, you kind of get the store-bought variety, but you don't really get to taste the true essence of it until you dig into it. And that digging into it is what I believe is the Holy Spirit. That is what reveals the ultimate truth to you and opens up your eyes to what it is saying. Now, some people may say that this is rather offensive and they disagree with me and all that. And look, I'm, I am a, I'm a guy who's very open. I'm always trying to learn better. Uh, this is just based on what I found. I was disappointed in the history of the translation work done in the New Testament. And I've had to conclude that we need, we need the reliance of the Holy Spirit to understand what the book says because we don't have originals. We, don't, we can't go back to an original book and say, okay, well, this is exactly what he wrote. And, uh, and so, you know, what do you do with that? And I can, I can even give you an example that there was, you know, there's the Greek version of, I believe it's Matthew, that they found the Hebrew version now. And the Hebrew version is slightly different. Um, and the differences do make a significant change. So do we run after that? Is that the original? You know, no one knows. And that's why I say we need the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, I, I have often wondered if it wasn't intended to be this way, that God wants us to use faith and the revelation of the Holy Spirit to understand his new covenant. And in the next segment, I'm going to talk about covenants. And it would perhaps better explain uh, the books and their relation to the ultimate plan that God has for all of us. So anyway, that is it for this episode. I thank you for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please leave them. Uh, I will request just be respectful. I know that this is a hot button topic. And I admit I may be in error. I may not be correct on this, but this is the way I see it currently. So anyway, thank you for listening and have a great day.